As it's already been said, there is no better way to spend a Saturday evening than coming together to sing praises to God, to pray to our Father, and to open from His Word to study those things that I hope will be helpful to you as they are helpful to me. Someone once said, it's been said a time or two, thank you for that sermon, it really helped me or it inspired me, and I always respond that typically I write sermons for myself because the things that inspire me, help me, provoke me, challenge me are often the kinds of things that challenge others as well. And so I'm glad that you're here tonight. I invite you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of John chapter 11 where we're going to begin reading in just a moment as we look at a subject that I am really excited about because he's a character in the Bible that we know a fair amount about, though yet we know very little about when we talk about Doubting Thomas. And the subtitle is important. There's a bit of him in all of us because I'm convinced that the more we get to know Thomas, the more we get to know ourselves And get to know what it means to be a faithful child of God. So we'll read in John chapter 11 here in just a moment. Before we do that, I wanted to take just three to four minutes of your time and address a couple of things on a personal level that I hope will be helpful to you. This is an opportunity this weekend for me and for Wendy to get to know you all. And it's an opportunity for you to get to know us. And so we've been asked a number of questions, uh, and we are excited about answering those questions. But in the event that, because you guys, I mean, last night after the sermon, I was bored because no one would come talk to me. (laughs) That's the furthest thing from the truth. There were so many of you who were so friendly, and I know I didn't get to talk to all of you, and I feel bad about that. And I hope that tonight... And tomorrow we'll have that opportunity. But I wanted to just take three to four moments of your time and just share a little bit about me and about Wendy and about where we're from and some of that information. So that's who I am. Uh, That's how you spell my name. Someone asked how you spell my name. It's Leland, L-E-L-A-N-D. I was born and raised in central Indiana growing up in Plainfield, which is right outside of Indianapolis. And then what I did is I traveled to Crawfordsville, Indiana, where I went to college, where I was preaching and where I eventually got a job teaching high school while also preaching for a small church there. Let me talk to you about the more exciting aspect, and that is Wendy, my wife. And if you have a chance tonight to meet her, take advantage of that opportunity long before you take advantage of the opportunity to meet me, because you'll be the beneficiary of it. She's born and raised in Northern California in the area called Napa Valley, and she was there before it became a great tourist location in Northern California. She went to Florida College and then continued her schooling in San Diego and veterinary school there remaining in San Diego, and she is a registered veterinary technician. So I always tell people, especially when we're visiting with a group of Christians, if you have pets that you need their needs met, now's the time because you'll get it at a discounted rate with her. She works for free when we're on trips like this. So if you've got a cat or a dog or a horse or a fish or something that needs some sort of medical attention, let her know and she'll be happy to help you out. We uh, are obviously 
married and have been now for a number of years. We're going to celebrate our anniversary later next week. We met in Santee, California when I moved out there in 2007 to begin working with the church in Santee. And 2014, four and a half years ago, we moved from there to work with the church in Lake Elsinore, which is about an hour and a half north of San Diego. We are very close to the border. We live in El Cajon, and we have two boys, Joshua and Stephen, that are in college and are going to be continuing college back in San Diego. Now, I know that we talked last night about flyover country. And to, it's, it's funny because growing up in Indiana, I have a lot of friends in Indiana. And whenever there is an earthquake in California, they'll call me and say, are you affected? And I have to sometimes say California is a, a, a huge state. So you look up here on the top, you see the purple or bluish arrow. That's where Wendy grew up. And then where we met and where the church meets is outside of San Diego, down here where the red arrow is. So that's just a little bit of geography that hopefully will help you out. And if you like pictures, you can all go, oh, and do that right now. There we are a few years ago, and here we are just a couple of days ago uh, outside of Coronado, California. So you get an idea of what we look like in regular street clothes. Last but not least, it is important that you know that if I come... Max Nixon comes with me. Uh, Max is his first name. Nixon is his middle name. I miss him terribly. I'm going to take his picture down because if I look at him too long, I'll miss him. Now to get down to more serious stuff, and that is the text tonight. Doubting Thomas is what his nickname is. But I want us to look at Thomas a little bit differently tonight. I want to start with an introduction to Thomas. And the fact is, is whether it's fair or unfair, right or wrong... Thomas is associated with the one particular event as found in John chapter 20 that we'll read here in just a few moments. For example, if I say Cain to you all, even to an average five or six year old who's been in Bible class, they can identify Cain as one of the children of Adam and Eve. And Cain is known for murdering his brother Abel. And so Uzzah is known for touching the ark and disobeying God. And of course, Judas, he's the one who betrayed Christ. Thomas is recognized as the doubting one, even by non-religious people, people who don't go to church or read their Bibles very often. They understand what we mean by doubting Thomas because they've heard the story about him. But I am convinced, and this is the posit to what I'm suggesting tonight, and that is this account is important. And we're going to talk about John chapter 20 in some detail in just a moment. But that's not all of Thomas's story. And so I want to go back all the way to John chapter 11. And I want to consider with you our introduction to Thomas in Scripture. And our introduction of him is different than when the Scriptures close out in John chapter 20 to talk about Thomas. So if you're traveling through the book of John, we're looking at John chapter 11 We're going to briefly touch down in John chapter 14. Then we're going to land in John chapter 20 in the text of about six verses that has the story that I'm sure you're familiar with. Now, if you're here tonight and you're not familiar with why he's called Doubting Thomas, do not be afraid. We're going to pull back the curtain in just a moment. And so we know 
uh, have no need of a spoiler alert as to giving that information away in just a few moments. But I want to read in John chapter 11, in verse 11 beginning. John chapter 11, in verse 11, the Bible says, These things he said, and after that he said, Our friend Lazarus sleeps, but I go that I may wake him up. Now this is, of course, the account of Lazarus, who is a friend of Jesus, who dies, and his sisters are uh, besides themselves saying, if he would have only come quicker, maybe he wouldn't have died. As if Jesus didn't have the power to raise him from the dead in the first place. The disciples said, Lord, if he sleeps, he will get well. But Jesus spoke of his death, and they thought he was speaking about taking rest and sleep. Lazarus is dead. Verse 14, and I am glad for your sakes that I was not there, that you may believe. Nevertheless, let us go to him. And then for the first time in the biblical text, Matthew, Mark, Luke or John, we are introduced to this individual by the name of Thomas. And it says, then Thomas, comma, who is called the twin, comma, said to his fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. Think about that for a moment. The first instance wherein doubting Thomas speaks up, he says, let's go with Jesus so that we may die with him. There's something important to be said about that, and we'll come back to that here in about 60 seconds. But I want to go ahead and go over from John chapter 11 and verse 16 to John chapter 14 and verse 5. John chapter 14 is where Jesus famously says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And we could probably quote that verse because we are so familiar with it. But think about this. Why did Jesus make that statement? He made this statement in response to what someone had just said. And the someone who just said something profound and important wasn't Peter, wasn't James, wasn't John, wasn't Matthew, wasn't Thaddeus. It was a guy by the name of Thomas. Thomas says to him in verse 5, after Jesus talks about the way, he says, Lord, we do not know where you are going and how can we know the way? There are two things that I want us to notice about these two passages together. The first is simple, that Thomas is the one who spoke up recognizing the value of dying with Jesus. That wasn't Peter, it wasn't James, and it wasn't John, the trio of apostles that was closest to Jesus. I think there's something to be said for Thomas being that bold and being that uh, upfront and saying, hey, we want to know more about this Jesus and about his mission. And secondly, we need to acknowledge that Thomas is the one who admitted there's an absolute need for Jesus by saying, wherever you go, we need to go, even if it's going to require us dying with you. We're going to come back and talk more about that in the close of our study this evening. But you'll notice that when we are first introduced to Thomas in John chapter 11, it is Thomas the twin. And so I sat down a few months ago and I said, well, wait a minute. 
Why is he called the twin? And there may be different ways of understanding that. And one of the frustrating things, at least from the initial part of studying the scriptures together, is that the Bible doesn't record the origin of the twin comets. But if you would note the following. The name Thomas actually comes from the Hebrew Whereas some of you may have a footnote or an asterisk in your Bible where the word that is used here is from the Greek and that is Didymus. And so if you look up the name Thomas and you say, what does the word Thomas mean? You're probably going to see some sort of reference to the idea of being a twin. Now, when I was teaching high school for a number of years, a long time ago, uh, I had a student that we nicknamed Didymus. And the reason we nicknamed him Didymus is the students said, Mr. Ping, he looks an awful lot like you. And I thought, well, that's a great compliment to him. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, is we did look alike in some ways, and so we called him Didymus. Incidentally, and completely off topic here, one of the things that impressed me the most in teaching 17 and 18-year-olds in a public school setting was the fact that they wanted to know about spiritual things. They knew that I was also preaching for a small church at that time. And they knew that I was a religious person and some sort of a religious leader. Some of them would, of course, want to refer to me as Pastor Ping in joking. And I would say, let's just stick with Mr. Ping for now. And we'll explain that a little bit later. But it was so amazing how much they, whenever some sort of religious topic would come up in the news, they'd want to know about it. I remember one time putting on the board Jesus Christ and they said, well, tell us about Jesus Christ. Is that his middle name? And I said, well, no, that's not his middle name. But that proved to me something that sometimes there are people that we are going to interact with. And going back to the comments last night that we are going to evangelize in the community that don't know that much about Scripture. They don't know that much about Jesus. But it also proves to me that there are people who are hungry and thirsty to know about the Scriptures. And we've got to be the ones to meet them, to invite them, to welcome them, to do all the things that Jim talked about last night in the introduction. I want you to consider just for academic purposes in the next 90 seconds, three theories as to why Thomas is called the twin. One of those theories is quite simple, and that is he was a real twin. And that his brother, his twin brother, would have been known to the first century audience that John was speaking to. And maybe that's the case. So that anytime he's called Thomas the twin, as he's identified here in John chapter 11 and in John chapter 20, it was to distinguish him from another character who also may have borne the name of Thomas. There have been some who said, no, that's not the case at all, but rather that he looked an awful lot like Jesus. And I thought that was kind of an interesting theory. And I'm not about to tell you what the correct answer is, because guess what? I don't know what is correct. I just know that these are things that you may hear from someone. And I think it's better for us to be educated on those things so that we can then be able to answer them accurately and with some sort of authority based on our own studies of Scripture. And then the third thing, and this is what I love the most, and maybe the ambiguity surrounding the the name of Thomas the Twin comes from the fact that maybe it's figurative in talking about split personality. 
More on that in the closing moments of our study. But I want to spend the next three to four minutes looking at the text itself in John chapter 20. Now, the good news for you, it's been a long week, has it not? And some of you are exhausted, I can tell. And I don't mean that because you're nodding off. I just know from the conversations that we've had that you guys are tired. I remember a preacher once saying, wear yourself out doing good. And so if you're wearing yourself out and you are exhausted tonight when you go to bed because you've been engaged in Bible studies, coming to gospel meetings, hanging out with people who are half your age and they wear you out, grandkids that are wearing you out, then that's okay. Wear yourself out doing good. If we were going to do an expository sermon tonight just on John chapter 20, here are the five or six major points And I'll spend just about 30 seconds on each of these five or six points, but I would delve into it more deeply. And we can certainly do that in a different sermon. In verse 24, now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, I'm reading in verse 25 of chapter 20, we have seen the Lord, so he has said to them, unless I see I'm sorry, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. And Jesus came and the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, peace to you. He said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands, reach your hand here and put it into my side. And do not be unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So if I were to do an expository sermon where I was just going to delve into this text and spend a good 30 minutes or more just on this text, I would say, first of all, let's address the question where Thomas had been. Because for some reason, he's not with him. Verse 24 says he was not with them when Jesus came. Maybe he had gone back to his prior profession. Maybe he had given up on Jesus. Maybe he was so distraught that he was in bed for days because he believed that Jesus was no longer around. Maybe all of those things combined provide us the answer as to where he has been. Then I would look at verse 25 and I would note that he makes three very specific demands. I've got to do this. I've got to do that. And then I've got to do this. And unless those three demands are met, I will not believe. Interesting, as a side, we probably need to be careful making demands of our Lord. It works the other way around. He makes demands of us and we do what he asks us to do. And then what I would note in verse 26 is that a full week passes until the next Lord's Day. And so for a seven to eight day period, nothing happens as is recorded in Scripture, at least here in John chapter 20. And I think that's interesting. Then in verse 27, Jesus says, reach your finger here, look in my hands, reach your hand here, put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but be believing. Jesus says, you wanted the evidence, Thomas. Here's your evidence. 
You can imagine the chill that must have been in the mind of Thomas as Jesus made these kinds of statements. Thomas, after touching Jesus and feeling the spot where the, the sword or the spear went in, says, you are my Lord and you are my God. Thomas believes and confesses Jesus as God. And then verse 29, and this would be a key point that I would want to make, is that Jesus makes this universal application where he says in verse 29, and, I, and let me share with you what I think is the most important word in verse 29. I think the most important word that you should underline, circle, put a star by, prick your finger and put a drop of blood right next to it is a word called us in verse 29. Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those, I'm sorry, not us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Those. Who's the those? <laughs> I know it doesn't make any sense. Who's the those? It's you and it's me. It's us. So that those there is my favorite word in the entire verse. Because he's saying, more fulfilled, happier, and blessed are the individuals who've never seen Jesus. That's you, that's me, that's everybody on the earth today, everybody in Rutherford County. All 309,000 belong in that potential category who then believe in Jesus and who obey Jesus. You may say, well, that's great. I understand the story of Thomas. I appreciate the comments about the twin. I appreciate you being very brief in breaking down the text. But why does this matter? I'm glad you asked. I'm really glad you asked why this matters. I believe that the Holy Spirit, when working through John or Matthew or Mark or Luke or Paul or Peter, whoever the author was, I, I believe firmly that the Holy Spirit doesn't write stories just to fill space, nor does it write stories just to uh, make someone look bad or to feel embarrassed. Because there are a lot of people in the Bible who the stories about them are filled with sordid details, but yet they are found, for example, in Hebrews chapter 11, where the Bible talks about these great men and women of faith. I have a sermon that I did a few weeks ago and I look at Hebrews chapter 11 and I say, let's look at this alternatively. By faith, Noah did this. By faith, Abraham did this. By faith, Sarah did this. And on and on and on. And I say, you know what? These three individuals and on and on made a whole lot of horrific mistakes in their lives. But yet they are still included in the hall of fame or the hall of faith of Hebrews chapter 11. I would submit to you that I think there are at least four reasons why this is in the text. The one is this. No one's faith is on fire all the time. I would like to tell you that when it comes to your shepherds, that when it comes to David, that when it comes to me, that when it comes to your deacons that you respect and that you look up to, I'd like to tell you that our faith is on fire, 100%, fully charged, all day long, every day, all week. And I think all of us would agree, yeah, that's not the reality. 
Because there are times where we get a little bit lax. There's times where we get a little bit weak. There's times where we get a little bit forgetful about the spiritual priorities that we are otherwise to be dutifully engaged with. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 12 is one of my favorite passages. And you could probably quote it where Paul says that you are to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And I like that verse because Paul is very upfront about the fact that, hey, it's difficult sometimes being a child of God. And might I also go a little bit further and say, aren't you glad that God doesn't judge you by your one time weakest moment in life? I mean, if that's the case, we are all without hope. And what we're doing tonight is a colossal waste of time, if that's true. I mean, if you look at your weakest moment in life, and I don't want you to think about it very long because I know it's not positive and that's not going to make you feel good. And that's not going to make you excited about being here tonight. But think about for just 20 seconds about your weak moments in life, in your past, where you weren't as strong as you needed to be. And then God says, right there, I'm going to judge you right there on that. And there's no chance of you making any sort of correction or any sort of improvement moving upward. That is depressing to think about. But that's not the way our God works. He doesn't judge us by our one-time events. And I'm convinced he did not judge Thomas by this one event. Because remember, John chapter 11, Thomas is the first one to raise his hand and say, I'll go with you wherever you want me to go. I'll follow you wherever you want me to follow. Secondly, I want us to appreciate this. And this is perhaps my favorite point. Someone said, well, why didn't you make that your last point? Well, because I made it my second point. Looking for more information is okay. It is okay to say to someone who asks you a question about the Bible. I'm not sure that is okay. In fact, I'd rather have someone say, I'm not sure. Let me think about that and study that rather than someone who has an answer to everything at every time, because that tells me that person may have an attitude problem. The idea that I've got all the answers. I don't need any help from anybody else. For example, evidences, looking at evidences in space, looking at evidences in the earth, looking at evidence in the ocean, are, makes for a very good and important class and study. But I also uh, want to just point out four passages, and we're going to fly through these real quickly here. And I want you to notice the common denominator of these four passages. Matthew chapter 5, verse 6 says, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. So, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Acts chapter 17, verse 11 is the text that tells us about the Bereans. And they were the ones who searched the scriptures daily to see whether or not the things that uh, they were being taught were actually true. Second Timothy chapter two, verse 15, we can quote, study to show yourself approved unto God, being that workman that righteously divides the word of truth or approved in God's sight. And. In Peter's letter, 1 Peter 2, verse 2, as babes desire the newborn, the, the, as newborn babes desire the milk and desire to know more about the word. Here's my question. What do all four of these passages have in common? They all have in common that we are to keep looking, 
Keep searching. Keep finding what is true. The Bible tells you and tells me, keep looking, keep searching. And when you think about what's going on with Thomas, isn't it true that that's what Thomas was doing? When he says, I will believe in Jesus, but I first have to see something. Well, before we're too hard on Thomas, there are times where I say, I'm not going to believe it until I see it or read it. Really, what Thomas was doing in doubting is doing what you and I do on many occasions in our spiritual walk and our spiritual growth. Thirdly, having our eyes opened up is a really good thing. Again, we'll fly through these passages and you can read them on your own. But something happened between Acts 8.31 and Acts 8.36. And that is Philip sat down with the Ethiopian eunuch and spoke to him about the truth and taught him Jesus. Verse 35, he opened the scriptures and taught Jesus out of Isaiah 53. Yes, you can teach Jesus out of the Old Testament, which is why we study the Old Testament as much as we do. In Acts chapter 9, Saul went from being blinded to having his eyes opened, literally and figuratively. Mark chapter 8 is the account of the blind man who was healed by Jesus. And when he was asked, what do you see? He said, and I find it almost comical. He says, I see men walking, but they're like trees. And Jesus says, let me work on you and let me fix you. Let me show you clearly. And I have have one of my favorite sermons is I call it, I see things more clearly now from Mark chapter 8, verses 22 through 25. Everybody who is searching for scriptures, is having their eyes opened up. The common denominator in every account is the presence of Jesus because just as was the case with Thomas, he's the one who opens our eyes. And then a segue from three to four, and finally is this, and that is making the necessary change after our eyes have been opened is vital and necessary. It is important to see Jesus as my Lord and my God. In fact, when a person is baptized, do we not always ask the question, do you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God? We ask it in some form or fashion. And if the person says, no, I don't believe that Jesus is the Son of God, we don't baptize them, right? We say, well, you're not ready. But if the person says, yes, I do believe that Jesus is God. I believe that he is the son of God. I believe that he is the Christ. Any one of those kinds of things where he makes that confession of faith, then we baptize the person. So it's important that we see Jesus as Lord and God, but it's vitally and really important to then serve him. I would suggest, and I hope that you would agree with me and understand what I'm saying that I'm not trying to cut ourselves too much slack, but it is normal for us, maybe even natural for us, to have some doubts from time to time. So before we are too tough on Thomas, let's think about ourselves and the fact that we sometimes doubt as well. But it is up to us as individuals to make a commitment to go forward, to serve him continually, And to serve him forever. That's why I love the subtitle. Not because I wrote it. But because it means so much to me. That when it comes to doubting Thomas. 
I believe that there is a bit of him in all of us. That the same concept that he struggled with is the concept that we struggle with from time to time. And we can grow as a result of that. It may be that you are here tonight and you're doubting something. That's okay. As long as you don't allow that doubt to get you down. But rather that you reach out and grab your Bible or reach out and grab an elder, a deacon, a Bible class teacher, a sister in Christ that you trust, someone that you are able to trust with scriptures and say, can you help me to be a little sure when it comes to these scriptures? And I guarantee you that just in the 36 hours that I've had the opportunity to be with you, that there's people here who are glad to help in that prospect. If you're not a Christian, we encourage you to become a Christian tonight, to be baptized, to have your sins washed away so that you can come up out of the waters of baptism as a new creature. If we can help you in that or help you to be sure in your faith, to no longer doubt or at least to alleviate that doubt by being stronger in faith to God and our Savior Jesus, let us know if we can help. While together we stand and while we sing.